Haul the road and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go? Hello, and welcome to Where Am I to Go podcast. <laughs> Today, we are in the Black Range Museum. We are with Garland, who is going to be our host. We are in Hillsboro, uh, New Mexico, which is just a small little town. I was told that this town was quite a bit bigger at one point in time. We're going to find out more details about all that with Garland, but... Uh, <laughs> This area is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's just outside of Truth or Consequences, kind of, well, between Truth or Consequences and Silver City. Uh, the mountains here, that pass that goes over, we took the ride the other day. It is unbelievable. And this place is just such a pretty, pretty place and so much recreation area. And it was full of mines at one point in time. But Garland's going to tell us about his museum, about uh, the area, and we're going to get all lined out here. So welcome, Garland, to Where Am I to Go podcast. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Black Range Museum. Uh, this is an old building, been here since uh, 1882, at least wow. part of it. And uh, it has actually been a museum since 1961, but it was in private hands for 55 years until we, the Hillsborough Historical Society, bought this museum in 2016. Really? Uh, yeah. It and was, so it was, it was privately owned? Privately owned for about 55 years. Wow. And, and, and not taken care of. Well, I was uh, going to say, there aren't a lot of privately owned museums. Yeah, well, this for many years, and... Uh, it was not being taken care of very well. We had, when we found out about it, that they would sell it, the Hillsborough Historical Society bought it from this woman, this woman right here, June Anders, okay. who had inherited it from her aunt. Um, wow. And uh, so we bought the museum. We tried to open it up. It was in such bad shape, we could only open three of the eight rooms. So um, um, so we opened up for a year or so, and then we totally restored and remodeled the entire building of eight rooms. Okay. Um, where now, you can tell this is our gift shop, but this at one time was Tom Ying's dining room. We have a lot of pieces of the furniture here. When now, did he live here, or was this a restaurant, or...? He, uh, it was, first I should go back to Sadie Orchard. This, um, this was Sadie Orchard's hotel in 1900. Okay. She brought in the Chinaman, Tom Ying, to run her restaurant. Um, and this room that we're in at the entrance here um, was his dining room. And I showed you a photo of that. Right. When we remodeled, we remodeled everything except the floors, okay. which are in bad shape. But we left a truth window to show uh, that's just a piece of plexiglass right. over showing the dirty adobe of which this building is made of, the entire building. Okay, um, and when he says a truth window, he's got... 
uh, wall finishings like what you'd have in your house. He's got a framed-in window that shows the adobe through the plexiglass. These things are kind of common in a lot of old buildings, and I've got a straw bale house. Oh, yeah. I've got a truth window in mind to prove that there's straw bales in my walls. Just as they, <laughs> just as they do in Kingston. Right. They do a lot of straw bales. I was wondering, we went through Kingston, and it looked like a lot of those houses were straw bale. Yes. The Black Range Lodge there... Uh, Catherine Wanick is the owner of it. They do a lot of straw building up there in Kingston. Oh, okay. Yeah. It looked it looked a lot like our house. <laughs> okay. And so I was telling you about this room as a research and education room. Uh, we have a lot of uh, documents, maps, newspapers, things of that sort for research and a computer with uh, a lot of uh, digital data. The only thing for display are these historic photos, and the one that, uh, if you could see it, you can't see it, but it's in this photo from uh, when we bought the place, and our first restoration project was for this 25-foot-tall water tower Outback oh, wow. that Tom Ying, the Chinaman, uh, had built in uh, the late 1920s. That was in order to get gravity feed water into his kitchen. Okay. And in a moment, we'll go into his kitchen and I'll show you. Okay, where let's it. talk a little bit more sure. about the water tower as long okay. as we're here. Okay, this water tower looks like it's probably 12 foot around. And uh, goes up 25 foot tall and has a water tank on top, correct? Right. Okay, now how were they getting the water to the tank? Was that hand pump? Was it windmill? Okay, uh, good, good question. There is also a well by the side out there um, on the other side of the water tower. And um, let me back up and remind you that the water tower is made of adobe. Yes, a, yes. You won't see one of those anywhere, maybe in southern China. Uh, <laughs> That's a long uh, ways to go. <laughs> yeah, we don't really know how he got the water from the well up into the tank at the top of the tower. Um, uh, one possibility... As you just mentioned, one possibility, this was late 1920s. We just got an electric power plant here run with uh, diesel. Okay. Uh, so he might have had that kind of pump, or it could have been a windmill. We have a photo of another house in town that had a windmill over uh, right. With the storage tank up there. Well, that's kind of popular. I've seen a lot of those here in, in New Mexico and also in Arizona yeah. uh, with the windmill that feeds a stock tank or, or a higher uh, tank for, for yeah. gravity flow. Yeah. But do you get a lot of wind in this area or that would run a windmill with all the oh, mountains and, and all oh, the yeah. other barriers? Oh, yes. We okay. get lots of, lots of wind here. As you probably just noticed, it's well, yesterday up. was windy, but at springtime's or well, this, we're we're kind of early for spring, but we're yeah. getting closer. <laughs> but, but it's pretty reliable. Okay. Yeah, all Interesting. the ranges have that. <clears throat> and you see a lot of the old uh, 
water tanks and stuff like that. Not a lot of them. You see them occasionally as you're driving through the country. A lot of the old homesteads had mm -hmm. water towers kind of like that. But like you said, the adobe is really neat. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a spiral staircase that goes up on the inside or a ladder? No. Or no. I noticed that there's there, a door at the bottom. That has braces. I think it's two braces across beams okay. that are embedded in the adobe on the inside. And there is a, about a six-foot ladder in there. But we, in order to restore it, we had to uh, bring in all kinds of ladders and things. Actually, we did not restore the inside okay. uh, of the tower. Uh, okay, so how did he get the tank on top of the tower? Another mystery? Uh, the only thing that we know about that is that the tank was has on the side of it Mahoney, uh, and it came from Deming. There was a Mahoney General Mercantile okay. in Deming that the tank came from. We don't know at that time how they got that up there. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, It'd be kind of fun to see some of that again, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay, it now let, let, let's kind of back up a little bit again. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Hillsborough and uh, the community and, and the history of Hillsboro. It's From mm -hmm. what I understand, it was a mining town. Right. And what were they mining? Gold in this area. Okay. I know that you have been to Lake Valley and right. passed by Kingston. Lake Valley and Kingston were silver mining towns, especially Lake Valley, which is a ghost town now. Uh, but Hillsboro... Well, to back up a little further, when Sierra County was created in 1885, 1884 by the territorial legislature, Hillsboro was the county seat. Okay. And I'll tell you more about that history in a moment. But uh, in 1893, the Sherman Silver Purchase Act that had been passed by Cong Congress to support the silver mining uh, was repealed, okay. and immediately <laughs> there was a depression, and Kingston and Lake Valley both started their crash. Lake Valley is now a ghost town. Kingston has maybe 40 people living in it. Hillsboro survived because it was primarily gold mining and was also the county seat at that time. Okay, and, and when did the gold mining quit here? Uh, it sort of petered out in the early 1900s, but there was other things in the mines like manganese and copper and pieces of stuff. But it really, after 1900, started to go down pretty rapidly. Okay, because I know that several mines like Bodie and, and other ones shut down in the 1930s because of uh, something yeah. going on with the war, the depression and gold and uh, some of those factors. I didn't yeah. know if that was what caused your demise. Uh, well, it was a gradual decline. I mean, there was also mining, but gold, you will actually see on the sides of these mountains just north of town here, northeast of town, um, you will see people out there on the washes that come down uh -huh. from the mountains in the monsoon season when we get water. <laughs> uh, and people will be out panning for gold along uh, that area. Not very many, but... They I, still find... Uh... They, they find trinkets. I think they must be... Uh, 
they find little tiny pieces of gold, and I think it's retired people who are just out for a lark trying this. Right. Um, okay, and, and uh, are there still claims around here to where these guys that are panning these washes are, are on somebody else's claims, or are all the claims expired? Uh, I don't really know the answer to that. I pretty much think that they're not active claims okay. around. Uh, the one exception to that is the Copper Flats mine uh, up here in this area that they're trying to get started again on on a large scale oh, okay. that is opposed <laughs> by uh, people about water rights and uh, uh, problems those cause for water in the area. Uh, but that's copper. And okay. Before that, different kinds of minerals uh, were uh, mined on a small scale for a long time, really, we could say up until now. Okay. And so how many people were in uh, Hillsboro at its peak? Oh, probably 5,000. Okay. Uh, this is uh, around uh, 1900, from 1890 in, in past 1900, maybe 5,000 in Hillsboro. Okay. It's always been a small town, but it was the county seat. Okay, and you have the old county building up here. We drove by that. It's in it's the courthouse. There, it's definitely a ruins. It's not. Yes. It's not anything like yeah. something you could go into. I mean, it's yeah. just a few brick walls that are still standing in places, and it, and the old jails up there also. Yes, the the courthouse is um, was a three story. Brick building, a beautiful thing that you've probably seen the photos of, uh, and that was built in 1892. Okay. Before that, the the county rented a building here on Main Street, and that served as the courthouse. It had a jail behind it, um, and you've been up and seen the ruins of the jail behind right, the right. house. That was not built until 1906. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, so was there a fire, or what caused the the disrepair? Just time and weather? Um, okay, I can tell you the story. <laughs> In 1936, there was a vote to move the county seat to Hot Springs. Okay. Down along the river. Hot Springs is now Truth or Consequences. And the vote was overwhelming because the development of this county had taken place down along the river. Uh, so there was more population down there. Now, <laughs> when that vote took place, there were people in Hillsboro who objected to that. Okay. I think I mentioned to you about Sadie Orchard before. Right. Sadie Orchard, the famous madam. Uh, now, she was the one that, that owned this. This was her first ho hotel in Hillsboro. She promptly opened two more hotels in Hillsboro. But she had become one of the more prosperous citizens in Hillsboro. Imagine that. Yes. <laughs> and she objected to the county seat moving. Okay. So she hired the local lawyer, Edward Titman, uh, who, to file suit against the county commissioner saying it was a 
she didn't use the term fraudulent election, right. but that was the idea that was an uh, un, um, improper election. And he worked up a case, so it started through the courts. It took two years going through the courts, everybody saying, of course it was a legal election. Uh, and uh, it finally got to the New Mexico Supreme Court, and the Supreme, and that took two years. That was in the fall of 1938. And the Supreme said, go away. This is a totally legitimate election. <laughs> uh, and so that was settled the issue. And to resolve this controversy between Hillsborough and Hot Springs, the county commissioners sold that three-story courthouse for... Um, $400. Oh, wow. $400. Uh, and they sold it to a guy who wanted the bricks and the woodwork inside, and he started it tearing it down in the spring, in the January of 1939. And that's how far he got. And that's how far he got. Some of those bricks are not very good. And uh, he got all the wood out of it. And, uh, the windows, the good windows were taken out, and they say that a lot of them now you'll find in hot springs. Uh, huh. The bricks were not very good. Okay. okay. So that explains why that looks the way it does. Yes, yes. Huh. But it's still cool. This, You know, the thing I like about Hillsboro, us driving around yesterday, was that this is kind of a combination ghost town, small town, uh... It's just all really, really intriguing the way that uh, the old and the new blend together here. No, yeah. uh, no, I don't. I don't know that. Sorry, I got no, distracted. No, we're good. We're good. Say again. I said it's interesting driving around here the way that uh, you have your ghost town, modern town, and everything kind of blends together in a real unique way. It's mm -hmm. just it's it's such a cool place. Yeah. And another characteristic of it is that there's so many of us like me that are retired and can enjoy this kind of a situation and don't have to worry about making a living. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so now we walk into into this next room. Uh, what was this room? This was Tom Ying's kitchen. Okay. Where he prepared his food for the dining room. And uh, it looks very much like a kitchen. You've got your old uh, oak ice box. Yes. Uh, what was, that That must have been an ice box also. This one's it, huge. It's an, it was actually, Tom Ying was very innovative in addition to the, the water tower out back to get gravity feed water. He bought the first electric refrigeration unit oh. in Sierra County. That's an electric. Uh, it says Kelvinator on it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, he paid six hundred dollars for that in nineteen thirty-one. And I'll bet you couldn't even touch it nowadays, antique-wise, for yeah. probably under six thousand. Yes, and uh, the reason, of course, that you thought it was a, an ice box is because it's the exterior is all wood. Yes. They, the first refrigerators were put in old. Uh, and the the, uh, the structure prepared for a large icebox. And and I think probably most people have seen the old oak 
style ice boxes that mm -hmm. are what probably four foot tall and three foot yeah. wide and, and this one here is like seven feet tall and five yeah. foot wide it's it's a much yes, larger yes. uh deal but so is this wood stove he cooked on a wood cook stove it looks like yes it's uh, a wood stove. this is an old banquet stove but it's probably just about half again the size of what you'd see a normal wood cook stove when you go to museums and stuff mm -hmm. uh it's it's a beautiful stove <clears throat> and is this the one that he actually cooked on it is the one that he actually cooked on uh um he died in 1959 and i told you about the museum opening in 1961 right. he was the last resident of this building <clears throat> And uh, he died in 1959, and this woman started the museum a year and a half later. We assumed that a lot of Tom Ying stuff was just as he left it, because he was the last resident in this building. And you've got the plates, you've got the butter churn, you've got pitchers. You've got uh, uh, everything. And, and, and another thing that's really fascinating is you've got the hot water setup still here. Well, uh, let me explain that. Can I explain that? Okay, let me describe it first. Sure. Okay, okay. Uh, this, this water tank is a galvanized water tank that has pipes that come into the wood cook stove. And then the heat from the wood cook stove heats up the water and it, and it works in a convection type way to where the water uh, flows in and out without any pump. And then uh, from there, he's going to explain the rest. Well, no, I was just going to explain how it got from the water tower out back. Okay. Uh, we don't know how it got it out of the tank and the water tower, but when we bought this building, out back, there was a square, a foot square wood box that had a pipe inside it that came up inside this building. And that pipe was inside this uh, one foot square box, uh, but it was wrapped with burlap to okay. keep it from freezing. And that pipe came up across the next room into this room, into this water tower okay. and water tank. And so that's where your water pressure would have come from because yeah. they didn't only take hot water out of the bottom of it like I've seen a lot of them, but they've got pipes coming out the top that run mm -hmm. on across the wall and into a wash basin for washing your dishes. Right. So he had hot water for his dishes that he wasn't having to heat on the cook stove. Right. And without that hook, uh, hook up to the stove, uh, this is not a water heater. It's water heaters where you get the hot water at the bottom. Right. This, the thermal cycling, winds up with the hot water at the top. Right, That's right. That's the reason he had this newspaper insulation at the top. Now, when he says newspaper insulation, this is not a new newspaper. Yeah. This, this newspaper that, insulation is probably four or five wraps. And I don't see a it, date it, on it. But. It's 1947. Yeah, okay. The last, <laughs> one, the last one that was on there. And, and it just so happens that they have a, uh, uh ad sheet from, this is a Christmas ad sheet. Yeah. And from they've got a bicycle here for $25, a scooter for $1.08, a uh, hand cart for three forty-five. It's it's kind of funny the yeah. the prices and looking at it, but it's still very readable. And it's from an El Paso paper. Oh, really? From yeah. El Paso. Yeah. Okay. 
Did they, they did they have a local print shop like in Truth or Consequences or here? Here they did once upon a time. Not now. Okay. We used to have a local newspaper, but not anymore. And then you've got a massive butcher block here. That, yeah, with a cheese cutter in the middle. Yeah, that this uh, massive one piece of wood uh, uh, table, meat table, actually came from another building. This was not Tom Ying's. We have a little one that Tom Ying actually used to cut up meat, okay. chickens, whatever. Uh, but this came from a butcher shop that was destroyed in the 1972 flood across the street. Okay. Yeah. And it's nice. It's probably, what, four foot round? Yep. Yep. And then you've got a really cool cheese cutter in the middle. <laughs> yeah. That uh, may have come from the same place. And again, a cheese cutter would be, uh, it's got a big uh, knife, kind of a blunt knife with a handle on it. And cheese used to come in wheels. Sometimes I still see it that way, but uh, you could take and determine how big of a slice you wanted off of that wheel and the inside wheel would turn and you could cut your, your angled slice of cheese out of it. Right. And we have that tied down so somebody doesn't accidentally cut their finger off. Huh. That's kind of a neat idea. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a washing machine, I guess, for probably washing his uh, dish towels. Well, and he may have had a sideline of uh, laundry. washing of laundry, yes. Okay. Um, and when I say washing machine, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> this is a, a galvanized tub with a ringer on the back, a handle with two... Uh, Boy, that I don't know how to describe this, but <laughs> it, it, it almost would look like a bra sitting upside down, <laughs> galvanized bra, and you could push it up and down in order to agitate your clothes. Yeah. I don't know how else to describe that. Right. So Very good description. <laughs> very, very nice. I thought maybe the madam left it behind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that's Tom Ying. I, there are lots of things in here. The next room I'll show you if it's okay. Oh, is, no, I want to see them all. This is the Sadie Orchard room. Okay. Uh, we have some of her furniture, some of her trinkets, lots of her trinkets, her side saddle. Uh, she supposedly went uh, fox hunting with side on the side saddle. But those are stories. Well, you know, my daughter has ridden a side saddle. And watching that, I almost think that the women were better horsemen than the horsemen yes, in a lot of cases. Because I don't know many men that could sit on that horse saddle and, and ride the way that the women right. uh, adapted to riding. It's, yeah. it's just amazing to me. Right. And you do have a lot of, uh, like, hair care products, uh, combs, brushes. They look like they're silver with uh, bristles in them. Uh, little grooming cases, mirrors, hats, purses, just tons of, of neat pieces here. Yeah, her scrapbook um, that has, among other things, has um, her card, um, her calling card with the name Mrs. Sadie Pike which is the name she used in Kingston before she came down uh, to Hillsboro. And she came down here in 1893, and two years later she married the owner of the stage line 
His name was James W. Wolf, J.W., uh, not Wolf, Orchard, J.W. Orchard. And so she became co-owner of the stage line that ran from Lake Valley, Hillsboro, Kingston, connected these three mining towns. Really? And where's that stagecoach at now? That's over in Lincoln. In, the in Lincoln, in, in Lincoln. the courthouse. Yes. We did a podcast there. I have seen that, that stagecoach. Right. It shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there. No. Where should it be? It should be right here in Hillsboro. <laughs> <laughs> or Lake or Lake Valley or Kingston, but Lake Valley's a ghost town and Kingston has only about a third of the population that we have. So it really should be here in Hill. Because you got a museum. Yeah. Yeah. We have a museum <laughs> and we can uh, we'll build to to put it in here. It belongs here. You you've seen photos around of uh, in this building of the stage line. Uh, it's very famous. The Mountain Pride. The Mountain Pride Stagecoach, the stage line had a variety of uh, vehicles pulled by horses, uh, but the stagecoach was the famous one. And it's, it's a neat stagecoach. I think we, we talked about it. If you go back to, to Lincoln County, uh, we did a podcast there. If you go back, you'll hear us talk about that, uh, the stagecoach, mm -hmm. and... Now I, I know where it's supposed to be, even though they think they own it. <laughs> they, they do. Actually, it's the State Department of Cultural Affairs that own it. When it was a, a previous governor uh, bought it uh, from wherever and got it from Lake Valley, where it was at the train station, moved it to Santa Fe, put it in the Palace of Governors, if you've been there, the interior courtyard of the Palace of Governors, and it was stood out there exposed to the elements for years. Uh, and uh, the reason it's in Lincoln is because Lincoln established this historic district. Right. Right, that's in the middle of, that nothing can be done with, and they thought this would be a good place to exhibit this stagecoach. So the Department of Cultural Affairs, the State Department of Cultural Affairs actually owns that. Well, I think they need to find another one and get your stagecoach back to you. <laughs> uh, we it is it is in a state of, of disrepair, I mean, it, but it still was really cool. Right. And there's not a lot of those old stagecoaches around. Yeah. And we have, we're in this room with Sadie. She had a lot of interactions with the law. So we, really? Yeah. Huh. With that kind of a business, she had interactions with the right, law. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. Now, now were these now were these business interactions or were these illegal interactions? Uh, <laughs> they were mostly legal uh, because everybody prostitution in those days in this area were just assumed, but you didn't talk about it at all. Right. Uh, we know about her three hotels because she advertised each of the hotels. This, this building of the museum was the Ocean Grove Hotel okay. in 1900. She opened the Orchard Hotel around the corner in 1904. And she opened the Hillsboro Hotel, which is one block up the street on the right, 
1905. From 1905 into the 1920s, she was running three hotels in this little town at the same time. Now you can tell by the rooms that we're walking through that Hotel then is not like a hotel right. now. It was mostly uh, people who came to Hillsboro for court or business or whatever, uh, and not families. It was mostly men. And you could put two or three men in a room and charge them for the bed, not necessarily for the room. Right. So it was a different uh, situation. Well, and those hotels were set up probably back then with an outhouse out back. Yes. And one ba bathing facility. And it's not like you go into a hotel now where you have two queen beds and a bathroom yeah, right. and a microwave and a, and a refrigerator. Yeah. You ate at the, yeah. at the uh, hotel uh, kitchen, and yeah. you slept in the hotel bed, and you yeah. went to the hotel outhouse out back. Yeah, and, and we actually have the hotel outhouse. I see at, it right there. Well, and it's a double. It's it, it's, it's a, a two seater. Two seater. And it has separate door. Well, it's got a panel in between the two holes. Oh well, that's nice because I've seen has, them without the panels. And it has two holes, uh, two doors for privacy. Times were, times were definitely yeah. different. Uh, displayed among the law is the guy who was elected to the territorial legislature and got Sierra County created. Uh, we have information from the first sheriff of uh, Sierra County in 1884. We actually have his badge to oh, show wow. here and some of his documents, like his membership in the International Order of Odd Fellows and the Knights of Pythias and things like that, and his appointments by the governor. And I told you about it, Edward Tipman that Sadie right. Orchard hired. Uh, we have his photo up here uh, and uh, that she hired to file suit against the county commissioners. Wow. Then we come into this room. And what would you guess this room has to I'm be? I'm going to have to guess that this is ranching and cowboy. <laughs> yes. Uh, all the photos on the walls around here are from 1932 of the latter ranch when it was a cattle ranch. The These are some cool pictures, too. You've got, really it looks like they're rounding up horses in one of them. And uh, oh, you're branding horses. I did not pay enough attention. Yeah. They've got a horse thrown down here with four guys around it. Uh, they're going to brand the horse. So were these horses mostly running wild, or were they... Uh, they? They were both, but they also would brand... Uh, when they did anything, they had to have a string of horses. I'm not a cowboy. I right. don't know this information well. Uh, but every cowboy had to have uh, two or three or four horses in his string to be able to do things. The one that you see up there of uh, branding the horse, this is uh, uh, the manager of the latter ranch, Burton Roach at that time. He's branding up there. And another photo over here shows him mending his work gloves with needle and thread. Wow. They're really fantastic photos. They are. It even has a photo of this guy coming back down to the ranch 
Yeah, he's, he's got, got a, a mountain lion. Got a mountain lion over his horse. Now, you would not find that now because the latter ranch is owned by the Turner Foundation, oh, okay. by Ted Turner. And it's a wildlife uh, uh, restoration protection area. Uh, and there, and and bison, buffalo. Right, right. Uh, no longer has horses, uh, except maybe for uh, some of the people who work there. It's hard to believe that you would see that picture even now, because how many horses would allow you to throw a lion over its right. back? And you, I mean, that's just that's a horse being calm enough to take that. And I'm amazed that the horse doesn't look more terrified than it looks in that photo. Exactly, because, yeah. yeah. And then you've got some neat pictures of the cowboys around uh, the chuck. Chuck wagon, wagon and, yeah. and eating their dinners, and yeah. they're all just sitting on the ground. Uh, that must have been the way that they always did it, because that's the way you always see it in pictures. Yeah, this is just phenomenal. These these pictures that you've got, and we have this case that our past president Steve DeBrot was the past manager, of, retired manager. Uh, after 25 years at the Ladder Ranch under Turner, Ted Turner's operation, and they have, uh, he and his wife have this private collection. And, uh, and in this collection, we've got some, some bits, some old bits, some old spurs, uh, ropes. What were those ropes made of? They, they look like... Uh, they may be made of rawhide. Yeah. I'm not sure. They're good looking. Yeah, they're, they're not super heavy like what you think of the modern day uh, rodeo ropers. But yeah, actually they're deer skin. Deer skin? Uh, yeah. Uh, Isn't that cool? Yeah. The little pair of cowboy boots. And uh, one item in here that I don't know if we've ever talked about. Actually, you've got several uh, of them in here. They're called Kent Sucks uh, is the way you buy them now. When you're trying to wean your calf off of your milk cow, you put these things on there and, and they hook in their nose. One of them just has a flap that goes down over the calf's mouth to where it can't suck off of its mom. The other one has spikes that are about two and a half inches long that are sharpened. So when that calf comes underneath there to suck, the mom kicks it off really quick. <laughs> and those are those are still sold uh, in different styles uh, through different catalogs and yeah, stuff for I'm people that cowboy. have the... I, I've had milk cows. I never did use the can't suck. I just figured out how to separate, but I, I'm aware of what they are and they're an intriguing piece. So we Lots have other, other things in the collection. Now, what is this? Saddles. A rare conquistador iron spur rowl with yeah. the decorative scrolls. Yeah. This style was used by the Spaniards through the 16th, 17th, and early 18th century. Yeah, and those have spikes. That, though the, the rowls on that, uh, on that spur are like four and a half inches <laughs> yeah. long. There's six of them. Yeah. Ooh, that just that seems almost brutal to a horse. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you about um, Margaret Armour Reed? You can tell me about anything. This is your museum. Okay. <laughs> this is a great story. It actually belongs more in Kingston. But Margaret McAvoy grew up near Watts on a farm near Watsonville, California. When she was 15 years old, she married this 40-something mining engineer who promptly, this was in 1879, just as Lake Valley and Kingston and Hillsborough were starting out, 
promptly brought her out here. I guess he came for the California gold mining area. So Californians this. have been moving here that long? Well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And, and even before that, uh, and, uh, during the Civil War. Uh, but that's another story. But Margaret McAvoy then was brought out here by her husband uh, uh, to Lake Valley and then to Kingston. And while he's doing his mining work, he buys a little ranch up on the side of the Black Range here, just north of Kingston, plops her down there while he does his work. Uh, she has common goats for meat and milk, uh, uh, but then she finds out about Angora goats. Okay. And she buys her first Angora goat in 1887. Okay, starts raising these angora goats for the mohair. Right. And which developed in this area. Uh, and, uh, well, her older husband dies on her in 1892. And in 1890, I've forgotten the year. Uh, 1892 will work. No, it won't. Oh, it won't uh, work. Okay. Oh, it would, yeah. <laughs> okay. Because they got married in 1879. Simpson died in 1882. You that in 1904, the American Woman's Review, in 1904, this is way, women at that stage were chattel right, mostly, right. other than Sadie Orchard. She was pretty independent. <laughs> uh, but uh, Margaret McAvoy gets this right up in 1904 in a national magazine. She died, and she, she's just famous. Um, and she died in 1933, and in 1934, the International Angora Journal does this write-up of her history. Wow. Uh, of the, all that she had done. A famous woman for a very different reason than right. uh, Sadie Orchard. <laughs> okay, now I've got a couple of other questions as long as we're talking about Angora goats. Angora shaps were extremely popular amongst the cowboys in the late 1800s. Was was she instrumental in kind of getting that going, or was that already going? Did she... I think it must have been going. Uh, she may have introduced the Ang Angora goats down into this area. She eventually became uh, a member of the National Angora Journal. I've seen a photo of her in this group of men with their ties right. at a convention. And one female <laughs> in the middle of that. Uh, wow. She, she was, it was quite an impressive kind of thing. And you'll also see that they also could brand their uh, sheep and, and angora goats. But, of course, you couldn't use the hot kind of brand. You had to use paint brand. Right, yeah. I was going to say that all I've ever seen on sheep and stuff is a paint brand, mm -hmm. which kind of wears off after a while. you gotta, you so. got to brand them every so often. Right. But, yeah. 
Yeah, I just I, I've seen Angora shaps at, at different cowboy auctions and different museums and stuff. I, I it's, it's they're interesting. I've always wondered why the why the Angora took off so well. Yeah, I don't know what these shafts are are made from. They, these are some really old ones. Oops. Hey, I got a cowbell. Cowbells. That's cool too. <clears throat> okay. Well, this is a neat room. I, I really like the pictures in there. That's... Okay. This is, uh, we then go into our medical room. Uh, There's a small room. We had a lot of stuff that we could no longer store. So we put it in here and I call it the morbid room because... It is a little bit. Yeah, we have... Uh, a casket from the last pandemic, the 1918 flu pandemic, right. where we have a casket with a glass viewing plate that could be covered up before the child was buried. And it is, a, it is a child's casket. It's yeah. probably all of about four foot. Yeah. And I have never seen one with a glass viewing plate. But not only that, the cover that goes over the glass and yeah. screws down. That is, that's really interesting. Along with the doctor's bag, several canes, uh, crutches. And the doctor's medical uh, table, table. Uh, couch. Uh, which looks more like a massage therapy couch than what it does right. a doctor's couch. Right. But I'm sure that uh, they didn't have all the maneuverable sit-up, sit-downs. You got a pair of baby uh, delivery forceps and some test tubes. And, and a dentist bone saw. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay, that looks like a little hatchet is what it looks like right. with, with saw blades on it. Yeah. Ah, that thing's nasty looking. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and a Ford's inhaler. That's a uh, little, looks like aluminum tube. You must have put some sort of seltzer in there or something to inhale. Yes. Huh. Kind of like the old, what was the old mentholatum or what, what used to come in the little plastic tubes that, that's people, pretty, would, yeah. that people would carry around and sniff. Yes, uh, that's sort of the same thing. There. Right. I don't know when mentholatum <clears throat> came into. And then you've got your, your pump organ that uh, was probably part of the mortuary scene or else the it was actually uh, church uh, scene and no it had neither to do it was a parlor uh, organ okay and it was in a house that was destroyed in the 1972 flood oh. of Hillsborough and that's the reason it's uh, needs to be restored one someday in the future it doesn't function but uh, it's a nice historic piece. Yes, it is. And really, it's in pretty decent shape. I've yeah. seen them in a whole lot worse. Yes. And it was made uh, in Brattleboro, um, uh, Utah. Vermont. Vermont. Okay. Is that what it says? There's, yeah. it, that's either a V or a U and a T. Yeah, it's Vermont. <laughs> and then this the must mine, be the mining room. The mining room uh, with lots of artifacts that have to do with mining. Um, of uh, different sorts. One of the first mines in, to back up a little bit, in 1877, a couple of miners came over from the Silver City area doing prospecting, ex exploring around here, found a couple of uh, um, 
what they call float uh, that looked promising. And when they went back over the, uh, the mountain to that side, they took these pieces of float, uh, pieces of ore, uh, to and had them assayed, and it turned out that they had a significant amount of gold. In them. And they came back uh, and established the rattlesnake mine, uh, or the snake mine. It was called the rattlesnake mine because apparently where they picked up this ore, they also killed a rattlesnake there. Okay. Uh, but they established one of the first mines up on northeast of town here. Uh, the snake mine or rattlesnake mine, um, and uh, then followed, and then at that time that brought in lots of miners prospecting around, and now on we have a map showing northeast of Albuquerque here, the three mountains up there are the Empire Peak, the Black Peak, and Animus Peak. And around that, we have a map showing the red marks each of the mines that were in that area. Um, and also, I mentioned uh, panning for gold earlier. We have on the map the yellow marking where all of this, the flows of water that would wash down the ore and dissolve it uh, over millions of years and leaving little specks of gold uh, to be panned for. Wow, that um, is that, that's a cool map. Yes, it is. One it of is. our locals drew, made that map. Really? Yeah. And I think we're going to probably pick one of those up. Because okay. I know somebody that would really like it. What is this right here? What are these? Okay, now let me describe these before and, and, and take some speculation maybe. We've got what looks like... Uh, it's it got like two handles hammer. on the on the end, and it's a uh, wire mesh uh, into almost like a chain mail. It's and it's got two hooks on the end, and it looks almost like a fishnet of some sorts or another. But it's metal. Yes. What is that? We don't know. Oops. <laughs> it's also heavy and noisy when right. you drop the ends of it there. Two possibilities. The least likely is that the, in these mines underground that they could string that mesh across to keep from rocks falling down on them in, okay. a, in an attic going parallel or horizontal. Right. The other possibility is that in these shafts going down in the ground, you could put the ore, promising ore, into that mesh and then haul it up uh, to the surface. Okay. Uh, yeah, if it actually folds up pretty small into about a two-foot circle that's maybe six inches high, but when you had it strung out, it was probably six foot or eight, eight foot long eight, and, and probably spread out to what, four foot, five yes. foot? Yeah, so it, foot that line. seems like almost like a hammock is the yeah. way that it could be described, right. that you could put the ore in and bring it up. Exactly. Huh. And it probably the, the second thing is the, what it was actually used for. That seems logical to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have some scales, some... Uh, a gauge with control taps yeah. for, yeah, and just some really neat little pieces here. An ore grinder. Now, I have never seen one of those. 
I've seen a lot of meat grinders, grain yeah. grinders, and it looks exactly like that other than it's set up for grinding ore we, for the we, assay office. When we first bought the museum, we thought that was a meat grinder, but then you check out this Montezuma uh, information online and you find out that it was an ore grinder. <clears throat> wow, and you got a hoof pad made out of leather for protecting a burrow hauling ore. <laughs> now, did they take burrows down into the down into the mines uh, with, with these small mining uh, groups, or uh, kind of like they did the mules? They take the mules underground, and the mules would never see the light of day again. Yeah. No, these were not that big. These were just uh, uh, small enough for a person to get through uh, if it was an attic you could actually have uh, 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 um, small train cars that right. would go in, and you could have uh, burrows that could get into some of these, but there, I don't think you could get a mule into most of these okay. original gold mine kinds of things. And did they end up with the wild burrows around here at all? Of uh, course, And yes. you still have them? Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. You don't see them very often. No. Okay. No. I didn't know if... Nor the wild horses either, but they're here. They're in more remote areas. Huh. Up in the Gila, there are both, I'm pretty sure. Okay. <clears throat> wow. We have one last room uh, of the eight that I talked to you about, and this is the Native American room the Indian room. We have uh, some older stuff uh, from uh, 2,000 years ago from the Mimbres culture, an, an adjoining culture farther south in Mexico was the Casas Grandes culture that you may have heard about. Okay. Um, and we have a few pots from there, whether they're original or not. They're, the Mimbres culture was on this side of the mountain, on this side of the Black Range, but on the other side of the Black Range, it was really a classic advanced culture where they did beautiful pottery. On this side of the mountain, more locally, these pots that you'll see in here that are local is very utilitarian. Right. Uh, but still... Um, 2,000 years old, a couple of 2,000-year-old sandals. You've got some really neat stuff here. They had some. St they had a really nice pot collection over at Truth or Consequences. Right, Geronimo Springs. Oh, Museum. man, and, and Arrowhead collection and some of that yeah. that we talked quite a bit about in yeah. the uh, Geronimo we, Yeah, Museum. we have uh, some mimbres, projectile points, right. arrowheads. <clears throat> wow. But then we also, the uh, historic Native Americans on this side of the Black Range were the Warm Springs Apache. Okay. Um, and we have some unusual items belonging to them, in, uh, including arrowheads and arrows made later out of metal, uh, which you'll find in other areas. Um we have representation of the two last Warm Springs Apache uh, who uh, fought as hard as they could 
against the miners and ranchers to retain their property because you had these miners and ranchers coming into this area saying, this is very promising. I'll stake a claim here. Well, the Apaches did not have uh, claims on the right. land. They didn't have any uh, official kind of... Uh, uh, legal system, but it was their property. So they're fighting against these miners and ranchers. The big difference is that the miners and ranchers had the U.S. Army <laughs> backing them up. So eventually they chased Victorio into Mexico and he was killed or committed suicide before being killed by Mexican troops. When he did, this old man in his 70s, his name was Nana, took over and continued the fight. It was a tremendous fight, given a small number of Apaches against the U.S. Army. Uh, but he finally gave up in 1886. When he did, Geronimo did at the same time. All of these Apaches in this area that had been fighting with their families with their wives, their children, their parents, uh, old, older people, were loaded into boxcars and shipped to Florida first. Then, after many deaths from malaria in this uh, malaria-infested region in Florida, they were sent to uh, uh, northern Alabama, a much better situation. Uh, for a number of years, I can't tell you how many, but then they were shipped to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. This group of Native Americans were prisoners for 29 years, wow. 27 years, and finally given freedom. Uh, Nana died before he was free. Geronimo became so famous and made so much money selling his photographs and things that he stayed in Fort Sill and died in Fort Sill, but as a free man. Huh. Yeah, it's just the, the the whole American Indian settler conflict has so many yeah. ins and outs, rights and wrongs. Yeah. I, I mean, on both sides of the of yeah. the deal, it it was just a, a rough time, is all. It you was can a say. rough time, but it was also <clears throat> characteristic of the the U.S. and treatment of any perceived minorities. But you know, you had the same thing in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. You know, you had you mm -hmm. had northern fighting against southern, or vice yeah. versa. I'm not. I, I, I've got my sides, but I'm not going to take sides in my podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, there was there was just a lot of political garbage that went on between mm -hmm. both of them, and the way the South was treated after the war. Uh, much the same as as what you could say the Native Americans were treated. Yeah, uh, it's just. Plus, it, 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 it's a bad deal all the way around. Plus, we didn't get into the situation of Tom Ying. Tom Ying, the oh. Chinaman that we started out with, probably, we don't know his history, but probably came to the U.S. in this flood of, of Chinese people, mostly males, uh, uh, to, first for the California gold rush, and then to build the transcontinental railroads. Right. Now, the second transcontinental railroad that 
the first one went from Sacramento East and joined with lines coming from Omaha. And the second transcontinental from Los Angeles came across Arizona and made a connection with the ATSP, okay. <laughs> the Santa Fe Rail Line, right. at Dimming, which is just okay. down the road here. Uh, it's a very good possibility that Tom Ying was originally brought in. They had Chinese recruiters that would bring these people over for uh, to do specific kinds of work in the U.S. and then pretty much abandoned. But Tom Ying probably worked on that railroad that wound up in Deming, eventually came to uh, Lake Valley and then to Hillsboro. Yeah, and that whole the whole Chinese situation, like you were saying, is such an interesting part of, of American history because we, we talked about it quite a bit. We went to... Uh, Pendleton, Oregon, uh, the mm -hmm. underground tours, and, yeah. and I got into oh, a conversation yeah. wow. in that podcast about the Chinese because they were all living underneath the city in the underground. Yeah. But there was some opium issues going on over in China. They came over, they migrated, they ended up doing a lot of laundry, mm -hmm. uh, that type of stuff, but they were never given citizenship. The, the 14th Amendment kind of gave citizenship to the blacks but yeah. they but the chinese were still excluded uh from uh, us was, citizenship it, it wasn't uh the 14th amendment did not liberate everybody right. it did something for the blacks but yeah. it didn't do anything for the chinese yeah. and we also did a chinese uh museum in butte montana uh, there, there was a laundry there and, and some other things, uh, really a cool museum. Again, mm -hmm. we got the podcast. We just did that one last summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the Chinese situation, like, like the native Americans is, yeah. is really an interesting section of history. And the discrimination against the Chinese, sort of like the black, <coughs> they were physically identifiable as different. Oh yeah. And, uh, were discriminated as badly as the blacks in the South. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and especially on the West Coast. Even well, in, you had your Chinese in, in World War II. Yes. You know, we've done a couple of different Chinese relocation camps. Yeah. Uh, they just picked those people up, told the, them they the were Japanese. taking the Japanese, yes. Yeah. They were, did I say Chinese? Yes. I'm sorry. You know, yeah. the Japanese. Yeah, they had the internment camps, one of them not far from where we live, but they yeah. picked those guys up and just yeah. put them on a train and yeah. sent them off from, from Southern California right. to Wyoming. Yeah. You know, the weather's a little bit different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's some interesting things in our history that... Uh, uh, they need to be remembered. They do uh, need to be remembered, not relived. Right. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, Garland, I have really enjoyed doing this podcast with you uh, and seeing your museum. This museum is really unique. Uh, I think because it was an actual working uh, hotel before times and, and has pretty much stayed that way. Yeah. And if anybody's in the Truth or Consequences area, Silver City area, this is a museum to come on over and see. Uh, when I was talking to Kathleen this morning, she had mentioned that you guys maybe had won an award sometime or another. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's only that it was an award from the um, 
Historical Society of New Mexico, New Mexico for being a local museum uh, and historical association that had done a lot of work. And, but it was like top honor, wasn't it? Uh, it was a good honor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but and we, I can see why. This we is... had done so much, not only with this museum, but also we owned the courthouse site and the jail site uh, ruins up there. So we've done a lot to restore things for the community, and we'll do more once we get the Mountain Pride stagecoach. I was just going to say, you know what this museum really needs is a stagecoach. You don't have one of those. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to keep plugging that. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Garland. I really appreciate you taking your time today and taking us through here and showing us all the cool stuff. And I always finish out my podcast by saying, the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. There is cool stuff everywhere. And this area, the whole area is really cool, as well as this museum. So everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All right. All the road and go. Where am I to go, me Johnny? Where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?